I'm Aaron McQueen, a pioneer rep from Haldeman, and you're listening to the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. Thank you, Aaron, and thank you for listening to the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. On today's episode, we're going to take a close look at a type of corn I think we've all heard of. Lots have opinions on it. Maybe as a livestock producer, you've even tried it. We're talking BMR corn today. Now, before you think good or bad about it, what we really want to do is try to bring perspectives on where it might fit and what the advantages and disadvantages of growing and feeding it are. I think we've got two excellent guests lined up to do just that, starting with Ashley Napton. If you don't know Ashley, she is a familiar name in Ontario's dairy industry. She is the Dairy Strategic Accounts Manager with Corteva and works with dairy farmers on a regular basis, making sure they're putting up the best quality forages they can. Ashley, thanks for jumping on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. I am so excited to be here. I love talking about this stuff. Well, I'm thrilled to have you here because I think this is a topic that is one of those things I feel there's a lot of emotion around BMR corn, but it's one of those things that even for me as a dairy farmer, I don't feel like I have enough facts to back up all the discussion that has gone on that's existed around BMR for the last well, for the last number of years. So maybe we can start, Ashley, from the very beginning in terms of what is BMR corn and and really what sets it apart from the varieties we're used to growing. Yeah, that's such a good question. I think that, you know, you talked about the emotion and, and kind of the facts of BMR and some of the basics haven't changed. So when we talk about BMR or brown midrib corn, um, it's a recessive genetic trait that uh, was discovered way back in the 1900s, actually, but it wasn't until the early 1990s that we kind of figured out there's an opportunity to have um, a play in terms of uh, feeding livestock with it. And that's because brown midrim corn, in addition to literally having that middle rib of that leaf being brown, it also has 20 to 30% less lignin in it. And if we think about what lignin is, that is an undigestible fiber. So that's something that the cow can't actually do anything with. It just takes up space in the rumen. So if we can remove 20 to 30% of that undigestible fiber, what we have is, is a product that the cow can utilize a lot more of, and it allows her to eat a lot more good stuff because we're not filling her rumen with something that she actually can't utilize. So that's something at BMR that has not changed is we've been able to maintain that that high fiber digestibility, which is something that's really key in forage quality, um, as we've improved some of, some of the other factors on, on the newer BMRs. Okay, then if we can maybe have a history lesson, Ashley. Obviously, fact number one that I learned today is just how long this BMR, the discovery, has been around for. But if we can actually back up to maybe more the early days of when BMR was actually being tried on farms from then to today what's actually changed with these varieties and what's changed about growing it yeah absolutely it's a really good question so if there's some early adopters of bmr out listening they probably have some recollection of themselves or maybe some neighbors you know trying bmr and having some key challenges the first is that lignin is a really important cell structure you know cell wall structure component that's really crucial in standability. So when you start to remove that, that key kind of tough uh, upright trait, 
sustainability was a concern for BMR when it originally came out. You can remember horror stories of it, you know, falling down in the field and just being an absolute mess to harvest. One of the other challenges with BMR that we have to remember is that if you look at the corn acres in North America, and then you look at corn silage acres in North America, that's a very small fraction of, of our total acreage. And then if you look at BMR acres of that corn silage acres, it's even smaller. So when we think about you know, the rate of genetic increase in our, our dual purpose and our grain corn hybrids, it's been really rapid. It's been absolutely amazing. The BMR just hasn't quite been there as much. There's been some lag in some of that development, but we're finally starting to see some really awesome improved plant um, health, which is going to help some of that standability, which is going to help some of that forage quality. We're starting to see, you know, just overall improved standability, selecting for hybrids that are going to stand better. Um, so we're also improving, you know, uh, looking at reducing that yield drag. That's been something that's talked about a lot in the past. BMR, you know, it doesn't like being dry, but just in general has that overall yield drag. Uh, we're seeing that gap narrow with the new genetics. And when we talk about that yield drag, I think it's important to remember that we have a yield drag that occurs in other forages that we grow too, right? If you think about alfalfa that you and I grow to feed our cattle, we could harvest it at maximum yield. That would be full flower, but we actually cut it two weeks earlier sacrifice some of that yield for that increased forage quality, I think the same concept can apply here with BMR. Well, because it, I think it is one of those things that when I think for me, I mean, it is hard to get my head around the idea that instead of worrying just solidly, solely about tons or specific numbers per acre, if we start backing up and thinking more digestibility and start thinking maybe in the concept of a more milk per tons, then maybe you don't need to put up as many tons. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Andrew. I think the, the thing that we need to kind of reframe this to is that we're not growing, we're not growing BMR, we're not growing corn silage. What we're doing is making milk. And if you talk with nutritionists, you know, a really easy way to make milk really economically is to have really high quality forages grown on farm. That's going to be your cheapest source of feed. And if you can reduce the amount of money that you have to turn around and invest in it on or purchase feeds from off farm, whether that's, you know, a pellet or, or if you're even just buying, you know, soy or corn right now, wow, that's going to be a, a big chunk of your milk check. So if we can improve what the cow has on farm, what she's able to utilize, that's really going to help our bottom line. Okay. So then if we do think about some of these new varieties and some of the research going into BMR varieties to make sure that those issues that maybe were prevalent 20 years ago have been solved. Can you maybe walk a grower through right now? What are some of the differences that they need to think about? What sets it apart from a typical grain variety, right from choosing that variety this time of year, all the way until just before you're actually ready to chop that? Are there differences that a grower's got to think about? Yeah, that's an awesome question because there, there absolutely is. And so, you know, one of the first things that we kind of want to have that conversation about is, is why BMR? And I can tell you lots of reasons why why you should grow BMR, of course, but I kind of want to know when I'm talking with a producer, what they want to get out of that BMR. And that's important because I, I want to make sure that we don't position BMR as a silver bullet. BMR is a great way to milk, make milk a little bit easier. Um, but if you're having problems, you know, if the cows aren't being able to eat that feed, if you're having cow comfort issues, 
BMR is not going to fix that. And so we don't want to, we don't want to put the weight of the world on these green corn hybrids, these BMR hybrids, I should say. So that's something to kind of keep in mind. But that being said, you know, say you are looking for, um, looking for uh, increased feed efficiency, you're looking for ways to feed more forage, maybe less concentrates. Um, a really good example is if you are, you know, constrained on the number of stalls you have and you need to get more milk per stall, BMR might be a really good opportunity to increase those intakes, um, allow those cows to make more milk off of the, that feed and, and hopefully make more milk in the same barn, you know, if you can't rapidly expand. Uh, it's important to consider BMR is a really high value crop. It's something that um, right from the seed is, is certainly high value because you get that increased digestibility. So make sure you're putting it on your best land. Make sure that you have your fertility kind of program on point. Uh, and also keep an eye out, it doesn't really like drought. That lignin is a really important component of moisture transfer through the plant. And so if we put it on super sandy soil, I think we're kind of, you know, we're not setting that BMR up for success. So some of those considerations to have, one of the things that we've seen with BMR in recent years is that um, genetically, we've done some really exciting work to improve the, the potential of BMR as well as maybe the ease of use. But we've also seen that producers are doing a better job on farm. They're doing a better job growing their corn. They're doing a better job um, managing it in the bunk. And nutritionists are doing a really better job uh, understanding how it works. We've seen that BMR works really targeted to fresh cows to really increase those peaks. Uh, but we also see some herds that don't want to have two faces open. They feed BMR to every animal on the farm. And that's something that can work you know, quite successfully. So by doing a better job with the genetics, as well as doing a better job managing BMR, We've reduced the risk that, you know, used to be associated with it, but really that reward is still there, if not more so. So when you do talk about, I mean, more digestibility, more milk, all of those, do you have the numbers that talk about the backup, the fact that, you know, especially compared to some of the dual purpose varieties that a lot of growers and a lot of producers might lean into, what are the numbers compared to them when we talk BMR? For sure, that's such a, an important question, right, is, is what are the, the economics and the dollars and cents, or what's the benefit to the cow? And so there's research out of the states that, um, you know, kind of talks about the advantage of an increase in digestibility. We know with that reduced lignin level, uh, the BMR is going to see about a six to eight point difference in your fiber digestibility. So your NDFD is going to be six to eight points higher with BMR. And what that directly translates to is an increase in uh, dry matter intake and in the end, you're looking at about a liter and a half to two liters of increased milk, what some nutritionists call kind of that BMR bump um, through that advantage of, of the increased digestibility. And then there's also the other benefits too, right? You're going to see that increase in reproduction um, through that, that increased energy intakes, as well as just increased overall cow health by being able to, to have a higher forage diet for that herd. Well, those are definitely big numbers, Ashley. And I mean, given where feed prices are at, particularly what the price of a supplement or a concentrate is going to cost to add into that feed mix, it sounds like one of those things for a lot of producers where maybe it is worth testing out BMR. And maybe it's a lot to ask to say, let's switch over all your acres to that. So is there a right number of acres for someone to put in towards BMR so they can, you know, actually give it a try to see if it fits with their, you know, full farm program? Yeah, that's such a, a good question. And it's, it's a tricky one for sure. 
Um, my first thing is if you're thinking about testing the waters with BMR, uh, talk to your pioneer rep uh, and talk to your nutritionist and hopefully have the two of them at the table at the same time, uh, because they'll both bring their areas of expertise to the table where they'll be able to say, um, you know, as from the pioneer side, this is what we know about BMR. This is what the yields are going to be. This is what we're going to do on starch. You know, this is what we can make for you in terms of a corn silage. And then your nutritionist is going to be able to say, yes, that's going to hit the mark. That means we need less grain corn or high moisture corn so we can change our feeding or our, sorry, our crop planting, you know, this way. So that's kind of the step one. If you were looking at just kind of testing the waters, you could certainly try and set up if you're in a bag system or, or open to using bags, you know, throw in part of a bag or a bag and say, we're going to feed this in the winter see how they did compared to last winter. It's not a surefire method because we know that year over year our silages are different, but it could be a good way to see how the cows react. If you're a big enough herd that you have a separate diet for your transition cows, so kind of thinking that three weeks pre, three weeks post kind of thing, um, that's a really great spot to try some BMR out because what you'll probably see is that those cows are set up for higher peaks that maintain even if you switch them off of the corn silage down the road. And that's just because in those three weeks where, you know, the cows are making so much milk, they can't eat enough to feed uh, the, their energy requirements. BMR helps them just get that much closer. So that can be a neat opportunity to position it carefully. But I think having a conversation with your rep and your nutritionist will give you an idea of, you know, where to test it, where to see it out, and then, uh, you know, decide how all in you want to be. Well, certainly it sounds like a great place to start. Ashley, thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Andrew. This is great. Well, I certainly can appreciate a lot of that information from Ashley. That includes some great tips, I think, that all of us livestock farmers can do as early as even next growing season. But that's not the whole picture. What's in store beyond the next growing season is another question I had, which is why we've tracked down Suzanne Mickelson. Suzanne is a research scientist for Corteva AgriSciences out of Wisconsin. Her job includes silage corn breeding for all varieties that are 105 days or less. So, Suzanne, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Andrew. Now, Suzanne, we just uh, were talking to Ashley kind of about the role that BMR can play on farms here in uh, eastern Canada, you know, especially for livestock producers, especially for dairy farmers. Can you give me an idea, you know, your role, I want to bring in this, you know, research side, your role as a research scientist kind of covering silage corn, um, you know, where does R&D fit for Pioneer, for Corteva, when it comes to silage variety and specifically BMR? What kind of priority is it for you? It's a really big priority and it's a really good fit with our research portfolio. So a lot of the material I work with in silage is coming uh, from contributions from the grain programs. And so clearly we have a great genetic um, pool of material to pull from. And so we can kind of cherry pick material to pull into the silage program that really complements what our needs are. And so we're focusing on tonnage and digestibility, but also the agronomics. And so with BMR, we are really looking to make sure that our products have strengths and standability, that that bowing and root lodging and all those things, as well as disease tolerance, those are things we're looking for. And so it really works well with the overall research organization we have to pull that information in and make the best products that way. 
Now you mentioned some of those priorities. Can you kind of walk through, I think for growers that maybe tried BMR or heard about BMR, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, maybe didn't have the best experience, um, you know, hence why we don't necessarily see a whole bunch of acres. Can you give me an idea of how that research has come along and what has changed in the varieties in that last 20 years? Absolutely. And, and I think that that's a really valid point, that there are people who've had that, that experience many years ago. And I think that we can really see with the emphasis that has come in the products that Pioneer has brought out, we've really focused on what we want in a Pioneer bag and what we want the future of BMR to be. And so we're doing a lot of screening, looking at products in a wide variety of locations and targeted environments where we can get a really good feeling for um, their, their resistance to, to disease and their resistance to you know, wind events and how they respond to those environments. And so our network of testing is phenomenal and the organization. And um, we have a lot of testing at the Woodstock station close to you guys, uh, but we also have testing near Montreal um, and in Wisconsin and Michigan, kind of targeting that geography that you're in. And so that data all pulls together. And so we, I think it's that testing network we have that really has helped us in understanding what we need to look at for a BMR product that has really helped us bring that together. Um, I think the products that we have on the market have done really well, and they've shown that we've made a, a major change in what we consider for a BMR product that we want to put in a Pioneer bag and the expectations that people have around that. So then for those that maybe aren't as familiar with, you know, especially BMR, you talked about a few of the priorities in terms of like tonnage and standability and digestibility. But can you can you maybe go into a little more detail in terms of, you know, what you're seeing for growers that maybe are used to either planting a grain variety or maybe planting a dual purpose variety? From your perspective in the R&D side of things, what does separate BMR from some of those varieties, um, you know, particularly in the priorities you're talking about? What sets them apart from the varieties a grower might already be putting in? The, the big differentiation is that level of digestibility you're going to get with the BMR. And so it, it's a big step change from the standard silage. And we make sure as we're screening products through the pipeline that we're maintaining that differentiation of the BMRs having that really high digestibility. Um, actually, tonnage on the BMRs can be really high too, and, and that's nice to see, and that contributes to the starch values that we'll see in our products as well. But the clear differentiation is going to be the digestibility. Now, you mentioned the pipeline, and you know, here on the podcast, we've talked to lots of people from lots of different areas of research and development, and the thing that I've learned the most is that that pipeline is not, we're not talking next year's varieties. We're not talking about the year after that. We're talking about, you know, several years, maybe a decade. Is that the pipeline we're dealing with with silage corn? And can you give me an idea, you know, what can growers expect in the next, sure, in two years, but what else are you, what else is coming down the pipeline, you know, even further? Sure. So, you know, like you said, right now I'm working on things that could be a new commercial product in eight, 10 years, um, making those initial crosses. And so what we're really changing, I think, is in, as we move forward is the amount of molecular data that we're using in, in predictions. So if you think about the research pipeline, it's a funnel. 
And so it gets um, pretty wide at the top and then more and more narrow as we move forward in the pipeline. And so our goal is to make that funnel as narrow as possible at the top. So we're really spending our time testing and evaluating hybrids that have the most potential for success and most potential for moving through the pipeline and, and making a commercial hybrid. And so we're looking at a lot of information early on uh, for digestibility, tonnage, standability, disease tolerance. And those are things that are kind of constantly improving, I think, in our, in our lineup. And so those are the types of things that we're looking at. We also have new diseases, new disease pressure in certain areas, and that's something that we're continuing to monitor and kind of shift as we understand, you know, different race shifts or um, Wisconsin has tar spot. That's a new thing that we're, how do we consider that in our silage lineup? And so those are things that we might have to tweak in the pipeline as we move forward. And we're kind of monitoring that. We have a great team in the company that helps us look at all these different aspects and where we need to go. That's funny you mentioned tar spot being something new to Wisconsin because it's new to Ontario too. And I think growers here are kind of, you know, all of a sudden, I don't want to say out of nowhere, but kind of recognizing that, oh, you know, here is a new issue that we've got to see. So it, so it is interesting to see the similarities that even if you're a few states over from us, how we're pro things are pretty similar <laughs> between us. So then, you know, when you're going through all of this research and, and you're looking at, you know, some of these varieties, you know, what excites you, Suzanne, about the potential, particularly about BMR? You know, like, is there a big future, do you think, for BMR? Is there potential? And and what excites you about that potential in the next decade? Sure. I think it's a great opportunity. The pipeline for Pioneer is definitely expanding in BMR. We have a lot more products, I think, that can fit in more operations. And you know, this is something that is really helps with profitability for a farm. Um, I grew up on a small family farm in Southern Illinois, and I can really appreciate uh, what that means when you know you have a product that can really contribute to your overall operation and efficiency and output. And I think that we're moving earlier products in the Pioneer lineup in the pipeline, and that is really exciting. You know, that's been something we've been trying to get expanded um, over the past several years. And I think as we look at this pipeline, and what's coming, that's definitely an area that's going to be growing. And I think um, your listeners will be interested in seeing those products as they come out. Well, absolutely. Because when you do talk about, you know, that shorter day potential, I think it does just expand the reach, particularly here in, you know, not only Eastern Canada, but Canada as a whole, when you start talking about that potential. Absolutely. And I think we're, we're looking earlier and earlier at products and, and it's definitely something that I think has has a lot of interest um, and people are interested in converting those acres you know, once they get familiar with them and have an option at their maturity. Wonderful. Well, Suzanne, thanks very much for talking about BMR with us today. Well, thank you for having me, Andrew. I hope you took away a few new ideas about what silage corn and BMR can do. I know I really appreciated hearing from Ashley and Suzanne and learning a lot myself. On our next episode, we're going to wrap up our fall season of the podcast with agronomist Paul Hermans. It's a conversation I've been looking forward to for weeks as we do a bit of a season finale and take lessons from the ups and downs of the entire 2021 growing season. The hopes, of course, we aim to do an even better job next year. 
On behalf of the entire Pioneer team, thank you so much for listening to the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. Don't forget, you can always get in touch on Twitter at PioneerSeedsCA or my own handle, Fresh Air Farmer. And for more info or advice, you can always talk to your local Pioneer rep or visit pioneer.com slash Canada.